Hello, I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Behind Fashion. In this unprecedented time, the fashion industry, like so many industries, is in distress. Around the world, we have gathered together to demand racial and social justice. No industry is exempt, and the hard work must continue, especially in the fashion industry. I created this series so that we could support one another and discuss how to move forward in a thoughtful and collaborative manner. Over the next few weeks, I will introduce you to many people behind the scenes of fashion shows, events, and photo shoots. Designers, producers, models, hair and makeup artists, and so many more. With a virus that discourages the interaction of people and the touching of clothing, what does the future hold for the fashion industry and how are our roles changing? I look forward to collaborating and sharing our journeys and ideas as we move forward in this new world. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce all of you to Georgia Alexia Benju. Georgia was raised in Colorado with a love of art, fashion, and music. Following college, she attended New York University's Institute of Fine Arts to pursue a graduate degree in art history. After her first semester, she decided it wasn't for her. She seeked out work and a headhunter. They placed her with a position as the merchandise assistant at Chanel. Not bad. So after landing that position, it was no surprise that Georgia did not return to graduate school. Over the next few years, Georgia Alexia worked as a national buyer and merchandiser for Hermes, Dolce & Gabbana, and Christian Dior, traveling often to Paris and Milan. Georgia left New York City for the West Coast, becoming an editor and stylist, and has continued in this creative line of work ever since. Georgia has appeared on television on Colorado's Best, Channel 4 News, Channel 2 Denver, CBS, and KDVR. Featured in magazines like 5280 Magazine as the contributing editor, 5280.com, 303 Magazine, Brentwood, Beauty Underground, Canadian Hairdresser, Colorado Expression, Colorado Public Radio, Denver Life Magazine, Design Scene, Dreamingless, Eloquy, Entrepreneur, Inspirato, past contributing editor, InSync, Lucy's, Mint, Modern Salon, Numero Russia, Picton Magazine, Rob Report, Shape, United Airlines Rhapsody Magazine, and Vanity Fair. She has styled ad campaigns for companies such as American Crew, Brown Palace Hotel, Clairol, Costco, Domino's Pizza, Fruit of the Loom, Glow Cosmetics, Hyde Park Jewelers, Oil of Olay, Procter & Gamble, Uliva, Under Armour. She's worked with PR companies such as Blue Onion, Crispin Porter & Bogusky, Grit, The Integer Group, Carson Hagen, Vladimir Jones. She's taught classes at Denver University and CSU, has been a judge at numerous events such as Design After Dark, Frock Out, and The Paper Fashion Show. Georgia Alexia Benju has also collaborated with photographers like David Reculia, Mark Hansen, Jeff Podrick, Courtney Roxanne, Bryce Boyer, Jeff Nelson, Chris Sessions, Joe Hancock, and Susanna Audette. She is a nonprofit supporter of, um, she's a supporter of nonprofits such as Dress for Success and was a chair for Big Brothers and Big Sisters. Previously, the fashion editor for 5280 Magazine Georgia Alexia is the co-founder of Short Story. Welcome Georgia Alexia Benju 
and thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind Fashion. Thank you for having me. I sound really impressive. <laughs> I tell people I'm going through this whole thing. I'm going to go, I'm not skipping anything. It takes a lot to look this natural and it takes a lot of work. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Now you live in Denver and I know this because I dropped a cup off to you, a nice mug. Did you get it? You did. Oh, cheers. Oh, cheers. <laughs> I love it. Mm. And I get a moment to drink after listing all of your successes. <laughs> you know, before this, you and I did not have an opportunity to really speak much. And as soon as we got on a call, it, it was like we'd known each other forever. It's definitely the fashion tribe. And I, I just, I look forward to speaking with you more in the future. But before we start talking all things fashion, there is a pandemic and I must check in with you and yours. How is your family? How is everyone doing with COVID? Thankfully, everybody in my family is good. It's, they're like all over the countries, but it's really, it's thankful. Like I said, thankfully, everyone is good. And your family, how's everyone doing? They're doing good. Um, mostly on the East Coast, wearing face masks. I do have a niece who is um, a nurse and has been on the COVID um, floor, but I think they're all doing fine. Knock on wood so far. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Now you've been the fashion editor for 5280 for many years. Um, can you explain to me what that job entails and how it changed over the years with you? Sure. Um, so I think I started with them pretty soon after I moved back to Denver from uh, New York. And it's different working for a regional publication than it is for a national publication. With the regional, you're really trying to balance like independent locally owned stores with what with the national com companies that are in the market. So like Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom. So um, it's always an interesting challenge working that. Um, sometimes I think there were editors at the magazine who felt that um, either I had too many pages or things that we were shooting looked to New York, but it's like, it's, it's the pieces that are being carried here, right? So we, we weren't pulling we weren't pulling things just that would be carried at, say, Barney's in New York. We were shooting things that were here. So well, like someone's wearing it. Someone's wearing it. And the thing is, is that maybe you were getting too many pages. Maybe you were too good. With photos like this, you could be in, we could be in Paris. We could be in New York. We could be in California. We could be in any city. And the thing is, is with the internet, you know, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing what is online, not just what's down the street. And things have changed and we do like to wear these clothing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And a lot of times even PR people who are on the coast, they'll be pitching me companies and they'll be like, well, it's local because it's online. <laughs> that's their attitude. So it's, it's sort of changed a little bit. So, um, so you know, that was always... Um, a little bit of a struggle with, I think, 5280. But at the same time, and I think this was something you alluded to in the first conversation we had, which is that you're given a lot of freedom to do kind of what you want here. So I was always very lucky. I mean, I, I was given a lot of latitude. So that part of it was, was great. And we're lucky to have experienced it. Honestly, the magazine was just fantastic. It still is. It's not without you. But anyways. <laughs> 
That's all I have to say. Uh, we just love you. Now, at the start of this year, you did launch a, a new company um, with your business partner, Kristen Priyu, called Short Story. Can you tell me right. about that company? Sure. So, based in in a in short, we're a fashion consulting and events company. Um, we really started because um, we wanted to help established and emerging designers, whether they're ready to wear accessories, connect better in their with their audience in uh, like in cities that are affluent but maybe not as fashion developed as say New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. And that was really one of the reasons we started the company. Kristen, my business partner, moved here from New York back in uh, last August. And mm -hmm. she has, a, she's like a PR guru. She's worked for Carolina Herrera, Carla Otto, Negri Fearman. And the, actually Negri Fearman's funny because her boss at Negri Fearman was someone I worked with at Chanel. So that shows you how small, <laughs> how small this industry is, right? Yeah. But, um, but so we kind of complement each other well, our backgrounds, her background in PR and mine in merchandising and um, editorial. But um, we had been talking about Denver and sort of like the challenges this market has. And I was noticing that since the last recession, I was having less and less, there were less and less stores for me to pull merchandise from for like 5280 as the years went by. And that's a challenge for me when I'm producing a photo shoot, but it's also a challenge for a reader because if they're interested in fashion, there's less places for them to go. And so it was just, we thought, well, you know, maybe we can help some of these brands connect to an audience here where they, they just don't have distribution or it's too risky for maybe an independent boutique to pick them up. Right. And then, so have you already started getting, um, clients uh, you know how is that going it's COVID it's the pandemic what's happening it is but at the same time there are opportunities I think in the market I mean again if we look back at the last recession um, when you think about those companies that started then uh, in uh, Glossier or into the gloss I think started Reformation Warby Parker Everlane like you look at them 10 years later so we keep telling people, you know, just because it's not maybe the best, it doesn't feel like an ideal time, there are, there's a lot of benefits to starting now. So our first client is actually an Australian jewelry designer, um, Two Green Stones. Um, Jade Howard Smith is the designer and she's lovely and we adore her. Um, so, and we're, look like we're signing a second company, also a leather goods company, but they're based out of, their workshop is in Nicaragua. So they're a really interesting company as well. And it, it was posted that um, she is coming to Green Stones in a small little article in Women's Wear Daily. Uh, <laughs> wow, you really have to know this business um, like you do in order to know how to, how to pitch something, how to connect with people, who to connect with, and the way to do that. Yeah, I, that's a great, that's a, you just encapsulated that beautifully. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It, no, but it's true. There's so many that like they can help you, um, but they don't necessarily have the contact. And I think like any of us, no matter what we're doing, it's very hard to work with someone you don't know. And you're not sure uh, what level of work or if they understand what needs to be done. Um, so it is good to work with someone who's experienced and understands 
the market and, and you understand you and your business partner both uh, understand the worldwide market. Yeah, I mean, and I think what we're all, I think what everyone is at this point seeing in fashion is that the wholesale, you know, the traditional wholesale multi-vendor model of doing business is just continuing to break down. And I think COVID is going to probably accelerate that to some degree. And so again, that's where we figured we may have um, an ability to help emerging designers, especially. Um, they need a lot. Georgia, can you help me? <laughs> I love it. I saw in your blog that you did um, a photo shoot for Denver Life Magazine just this night, right in the middle of COVID. Um, can you share the differences between the pre and post pandemic photo shoot? Sure, absolutely. So before COVID, we would probably have you know, 10 to 12 people on set. It would be the photographer, at least one or two of their assistants, mm -hmm. um, the art director, maybe a photo editor, me, maybe my assistant, hair and makeup, they may have an assistant. Um, so at least 10 people. Wow. Possibly 12. For COVID, uh, doing that shoot, because I think we did that shoot in April. Um, April yeah. April or I May. Think in April, there was the model, the photographer, Jeff Nelson, um, the art director, Tom Visacci, and hair and makeup, which was one person, and me, that was it, five people. Wow. People, people that don't normally, they think, you know, you can just take a picture. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it takes a lot of work to look this natural. When you and I spoke, I was laughing because I said, do you have a picture of that photo shoot? And you mentioned something about a pool. I said, Georgia, were you in the pool? You said, no, I didn't get to go in the pool. I was really sad about that or something. And then I see the picture for anybody watching on or listening on the podcast. The picture is the, the models in the pool. So Georgia, no, you did not get to go in the pool. No, <laughs> the, I wish I did. This model just looks fantastic. It's, it's everything we would like right now. The things of dreams. She's in the pool with the blue and white floaty a red one piece and a, a, an oversized hat in the sun. And how beautiful. It, it's weird though, because we, you know, as a stylist, you're always jumping in to straighten things out and, you know, you're, you're cleaning, you know, you're trying to get things as perfect as possible on the model that we could not do during this shoot, obviously, because we're really, we're trying to limit the amount of contact we have with other people. So that was a little tricky. I mean, we were, masked um you know usually like i said this was one of those shoots where it was like if things need to be fixed it was going to just probably get fixed digitally like in the post-production rather um, than getting it perfect on set because you know and there, there was kind of a, a little history behind that i mean back in the day you had point and shoot camera has to be perfect then we started going into digital and they're like oh we'll fix it later then everybody started getting online. There was a lot of, a, a lot of photos and they said, you, listen, you got to get it closer to perfect in the beginning. I can't keep fixing all of these. Exactly. And, and that also coincided with budgets from magazines decreasing drastically. Oh, okay. And now it's back to, we'll yeah. have to fix it in post. There's nothing we can do. We can't physically touch them. Yeah, exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see. I'd like to shoot again, start shooting again and see how we can, I mean, People need advertising images. I mean, it, it, the world keeps turning. So we have to all figure out how this is going to continue to develop. 
Well, it, you know, and it just shows how fashion truly is an art because it reflects what's happening in the day to day. Um, so thinking about <laughs> how we're all being affected, what did you wear to the photo shoot and how did you choose those pieces? Like, I'm so like, what am I going to wear? I can't wear my nicest pieces, even though I'm in front of a client. Right. This is one of those times where it was like, everything is cotton and when you get home, it just all goes into the, into the laundry. It was one of those, I mean, shoes that are easy, like closed toe you know, sneakers, anything that's easy also to spray off and wipe off. Um, I think I had two masks at the shoot, which again, so that you can switch out. And we were lucky, we were shooting outside. So that helped for sure during the shoot. We were really only probably more concerned when we were inside. Yes, of, co of course, inside the, the particles and it's sitting in the air and air conditioning and we're still trying to figure this whole thing out. Um, we're getting better, you know, and, and putting plans in place, but, um, and it is doable, but it, it takes some thinking and it takes some planning. Now, yeah, sure. considering all of this, in what ways do you think the pandemic will change actual clothing designs? I mean, are there any trends that you're seeing other than sweatpants and t-shirts? Um, I think we're seeing a couple of different things. Um, I think there's some designers who are really focused on elements like um, protection, utility, comfort, you know, they, you want that sort of um, security in your fashion. So I think there's some designers that are going towards that. Some designers are just naturally attuned to that, like Rick Owens. Um, I would say um, in the men's show, we saw, I think, um, people like Undercover, Jun Takashi, and Yoji Yamamoto go towards that. And then women's cruise, men's spring and women's cruise kind of show at the, at really close times. So in the women's cruise shows, we're seeing that too. Again, like a lot of really soft color palettes, uh, soft uh, fabrics. Um, I think we, I think like Max Mara, Jill Sander, mm -hmm. those companies all kind of went towards that, like soothing tones, earth palettes, blue tones, those kind of things. So that's interesting what you're saying. And, and some people may not know um, that the, there are fashion shows or fashion, fashion events. It could be a presentation. They're, they're, they're all online. Um, and the ones that you're talking about, I think a couple are from the fall, but, but people have yeah. done fashion shows. There was the men's uh, fashion week was it was Paris and um, another one but and we'll talk about those a little bit more but when you talk about Rick Owens I have a photo now he is known for amazing that's just amazing um, yeah I mean you can see there's like that protection element with those really exaggerated shoulders um, yeah it's there's like yeah. a talking and even even though it's you know we say muted, but it's it's Rick Owens, but it's black and white. It, that is very muted. Right. I mean, it's it's got a graphic graphic quality to it, obviously. But yeah, no, he's. I mean, and like I've Rick Owens is slightly dystopian, so he's totally perfect in this whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a photo of undercover June Takahashi. Can we see? Okay. Yeah. And um, in this photo, you can see that. These are more, I think, would say like um, very utilitarian. Yeah, you know, you can see like he's not doing like skinny pants. They're it's super comfortable. You, you know, again, very earthy palette. Mm -hmm. um, kind of, yeah, it has a, that jacket has a utilitarian quality. I mean, you can see they're 
some people are really kind of trying to make fashion that's, I guess, like kind of rather soothing security. Yeah. I'm not sure that Yoji Yamamoto was soothing, but it is a reflection I love Yoji. of a lot of black here and some distressing. Yeah, distressed. And the jacket almost looks like it has some sort of um, texture, almost like slightly padded quality. But again, you know, he's, his, he's, it's not a fitted silhouette again. It's not like skinny pants and a fitted jacket. He's right. definitely, loose, you know, still working, working with an unstructured silhouette. That's the mashed potatoes of the fashion world. That's <laughs> and from the cruise collection, you see the women's wear Max Mara. These are these are blue, like a soft blue and a white. Um, the headscarf, we all need that right now. That's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of twenties. I mean, the but again, you've got like that really soft tactile knitwear. Again, a very soft color palette. Well, yeah, knitwear um, Ferragamo. We've got yeah. some stripes. It, it feels a little bit um, Morocco, but I have to tell you, I've been living in, in my caftans. That's what I got on today, yeah. I mean, again, great unstructured silhouette, really pretty. And again, even though it's like got a little bit more color in it, like you said, it's very like North African or like those sort of it's earthy. It's very earthy, items. yeah. It's some natural colors. Mm -hmm. um, and now here we go, um, Carolina Herrera, even for kind of you're you're dressed up it's still a little relaxed yeah the silhouette definitely has um is not again like very body conscious it's they've exploded it it's very feminine i think there's some designers that are kind of going towards a little bit more romanticism it's probably one an escapist quality but also there's just some designers that's their dna they're just romantic herrera valentino right so, um so i think but again like you just pointed out, it's not a fitted silhouette. It's still got a certain relaxed quality or unstructured quality to it, I think. So that yeah, seems to and, be, and sorry, That's okay. Anyone who's listening on the podcast, um, these photos, I think you're going to put them up on your website, uh, yeah. connect to us. And I will talk about your website um, in other, in other, it, later on. <laughs> now, World War II, I got to talk about it because I had Florence Mueller on and we talked about history and um, Dior and following World War II. There, there was very little silk or linen during World War II and following it um, came Dior with the look. And of course it was silk, it was colors, it was a lot of fabric. It was, it was people went crazy for it. They were ready to be done with this uh, seriousness of the war and to move on and, and, and have a fabulous life. And um, so in thinking about where we are now, what items do you see as scarce during the pandemic? And what do you what do you predict to become future trends once the world is able to open back up for business? I think a lot of us are talking about a certain amount of similarities. I haven't seen like a scarcity necessarily other than for the last set of collections, obviously the mills were closed as well. So a lot of designers were dipping into their archive and looking at whatever remnant fabrics that they had to produce pieces with. But um, so that I guess would be one kind of scarcity. But um, I think what we're all anticipating is once things free up again, they find a vaccine and we're all able to go back outside and congregate with other people and our friends, you know, that 
things will become more um, like more vibrant color, more on trend fashion. But I think until then, we're kind of, as we've saw, seen with these last few collections, I think we're kind of in a mixed zone, right? I mean, I think depending upon what happens this fall, not to get too dark, but I do wonder if the February collections will be a bit somber. Right. But, it, dep it depends on if we go back on lockdown or, or yes. Yes. Um, we're, we're done. Um, now we're all hopeful that the fashion landscape is changing while we have this opportunity of quiet um, and not constant traveling to reflect and revise. Um, what top three things would you like to change in the fashion world and why? Um, I think the first one um, would be inclusivity, whether we're talking race, gender, size. I think fashion's made some incremental steps towards that over the last few years. But I think um, it's obvious from any of the social media conversations that we've all heard that that has still not been um, dealt with sufficiently. And so I think as an industry, we need to do more um, to, to make it an equal playing field, to make sure that um, brands are having enough visibility regardless of who owns them. Um, I think there just needs to be more done. So that would be the first thing I would say. Right. Um, the second thing is kind of like, again, back to the short story, which would be support for emerging and independent designers. Um, it's, a it's a tough time. The last 10 years have been tough for independent and emerging designers because in this business, there's so much big money that's come in. It's almost like unless you're owned by a conglomerate, it's hard to get visibility on your brand. And in fact, the Japanese, um, like Yoji and Undercover, the brands we were just talking about, they're some of the only independent designers left in the business. So it's really, I think it's really important to, to support these brands because a lot of them are who are creating innovative fashion. You know, they're not beholden to like a huge fan base or well, I shouldn't say a huge fan base because a lot of them do have a big fan base, but, yeah, um, they but they're not, they're not so like, they don't have to play by a formula necessarily because they, they're, it's their own brand. Right. So I think it's really important to, to support these people, to support independent and emerging designers. Um, and the last thing I'll say is I think it's also important to support artists. So the photographers, the hair, the makeup, the stylists in the business, I think, um, you know, COVID, is, as we've discussed, has brought production to a standstill. Mm -hmm. So, and hopefully we will be starting to get back on into some sort of normalcy over the next few months, but that kind of remains to be seen. But um, we are under pressure always to continue producing great content in less time. Um, I think it was, I think it was Stephen Mizell that complained about, or he didn't complain, but he just said he used to have something like, I don't know if it was like a week or so to produce like a 20 page portfolio and that has gone down to like two days. So you can see, and so I think we're all under that pressure. So I think um, most editorial these days for most of us is being produced for free. We're not being paid. So if we're not being paid to produce our editorial, we really need rates to hold for advertising. So um, that is something that I feel really strongly about is making sure that artists are getting paid the appropriate day rates and that we're not talking about people pitching uh, us jobs for day rates that are 20 years old. 
Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that they have to self-advocate for that. Are you, with Short Story, are you going to start doing maybe some classes um, with that or? We haven't talked formally about it, but I think that's a definite possibility. I mean, people can sign up on our website for um, upcoming events, but I think that's a definite possibility. We could talk about, you know, just freelance styling and some of the things you have to deal with. Right, because in Denver, I, I just think we need those extra things, but if it's online, then I can watch from anywhere. And um, I, I will mention your, your website um, in a little bit. Now you had, I just have to bring this out really quick. You had the opportunity to go behind the scenes at the Denver Art Museum with the curator, Florence Muller, and the Dior Couturiers, um, fix, prep, and install pieces. Now, what was your biggest takeaway with this experience? Because I don't know if people understand, but this is very rare to get back there, see this. It, it is not, like, I don't even think you could pay your way back there. No, actually, uh, I have to thank always Florence, the PR department at the Denver Art Museum for really, I think they all pushed for it. So that was great for us. Um, it was amazing because you, we saw the entire unpacking of a couple of the dresses and you realize, I think to me always in these sort of situations, what you realize is really the soul of the house resides with the workshop, with the atelier, with the seamstresses um, that are the ones creating these actual pieces. But um, it was extraordinary. The, um, the head of the archive actually was showing me a dress. I believe it was worn by Carolina Herrera's mother and I was supposed to get you a photo of that and I didn't. Um, I will find oh, one. And, <laughs> but um, but she, it was amazing because she's like, you see how it like, it's like iridescent under the light. And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And she's like, that's because it's beaded and then was like over embroidered. Oh, okay. get that effect. And I was like, this, it's insane the amount of work that goes in. So I think really the heroes, the unsung heroes of these houses are the, are the men and women who are the craftsmen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I just got, I, I, we're going to go a little bit late. I, <laughs> um, but I got, I took out one of my questions, added this other one at the end, but I do have one more question for me. Um, and then we'll go to uh, a question. Did you, you saw the Paris Couture Fashion Week online shows, I know, because we just talked about it. So what were your top two couture shows and why? I thought Victor and Rolf was amazing. I loved the fact that it was like all of this insanely extravagant, like robes and negligees and homeware, you know, things to wear at home. And then you had that brilliant voiceover the whole thing was so relevant and so on and darkly humorous. I love that. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, if, if, if you're watching or listening and you have not seen Victor and Rolf, it is a little cheeky. It's the 50s. Here's Jessica. She doesn't want anybody near her. Look at the sad face emojis explaining the emotion of today. I mean, I can't even say it properly, but it is it's fun, it's light, and I want to buy at least two pieces. Okay, what was your other, your other <laughs> favorite show? I thought, I did think the Valentino movie was pretty amazing. I'm, I'm a huge Nick Knight fan, so I think um, he does extraordinary work, and I love the fact that he's kind of like out there in the future. He's, he's got a different, he brings a different aesthetic to things, so I thought that was pretty amazing, and on the, on the trapeze and the, it, everything just, looked, I thought it was extraordinary. 
and you were saying to me just before this, um, because I did wonder who your two were, um, didn't you say that he wasn't there in person? Usually he directs the show, but he wasn't there. I think from what the way I understood it was that it was filmed on a set in Rome, but he was directing it from his studio in London. They were through like a Zoom link or whatever because of lockdown. So, yeah, so we are able to do shows or presentations, photo shoots. Um, there are ways around. We have plenty of technology um, as we figured out and move forward and make sure everyone's safe. But yeah, there. If you guys haven't seen that one, there there is someone on stilts. There's a couple. I don't want to ruin the whole thing. Couple static trapeze. Wonderful. Just um, if you haven't seen Nick Knight, he shows studio. Um, just fantastic uh, with fashion movies. He's always enjoyed the fashion movies, so this is his time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have a question from a guest. Um, I, the buyers I've talked to in Denver have said they're unwilling to take chances on new silhouettes and fabrics. They're um, unwilling? Not knowing how they perform on a body and feel. Oh, I see. So they want to see it. Um, how do you think designers are going to address this over the next couple of seasons where, you know, in Dior, we saw the little pieces, like, are they going to come up with little pieces and send those? It's, you know, how are they, usually it's touching and feeling the clothing. How does it behave? Yeah, I think we're going to, I think people are going to have to get over some of their fears and go back to touching and feeling the clothing. You know, if it's a showroom appointment, maybe you have a model and everyone has a mask on, including the model, because that's the way to keep everybody safe. You can see the fabric moving. I think, you know, to your, you just made the really great point. We're going to have to use the tools in our toolbox yep. to make it work. Um, you know, I don't know for some people if doing a video, like a 360 video of pieces, you know, that's a little bit more expensive, obviously, but you know, if that's also another option, but I think for people, I think people are going to have to get back into finding ways to touch and feel and experience fashion. And maybe it's like we all travel with sanitizers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could be back to the 50s. There's five people in a room distanced, or maybe they're outside in a tent, or maybe we're doing, filming a model walking and sending the fabrics. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, I have to tell you personally, I love showroom appointments. I love them because you do get to see everything up close and personal. It's great seeing something on a runway because you get like a designer's vision, but to really see the clothes, I like to be in the showroom and see it. I do too. I have to agree with all of that. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. I, I went over a little bit. I hope everybody's okay with that. I always enjoy it. I do try to keep it short, but you know, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. And uh, thank you for coming on Behind Fashion. I hope you get to come back again. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for attending this week's Behind Fashion series with guest Georgia Alexia Benju, co-owner of Short Story and Fashion Editorial Stylist. You can find her um, website, www.georgialexiabenju.com. And you can find Short Story at www.weareshortstory.com. Next week, I will go behind fashion with fashion industry leader, having served as the executive producer of Fashion Week in New York, LA, and Miami, as well as consultant for Berlin, Mexico City, Mumbai, Seoul, and Toronto's Fashion Weeks, special guest, Christina Nald.
See you Wednesday, August 5th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summertime. All the best to you and yours.